Hello. Hi. There was an element of panic there, wasn't there, with Rob? Where is he? I'm here. Hello, everyone. Uh, in case you missed it, my name's Tom. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, please come and say hello afterwards. I love immediately forgetting people's names, so that will happen. I apologize about that. So, as Rob says, we are going to be taking a break from our Corinthian series, and we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham, and that starts in Genesis chapter, end of chapter 11, but really chapter 12, which is what I'm going to be looking at today. I get to introduce it. I get to talk about it. I'm the one that gets to do the maps. So we're going to look at who Abraham is. We're going to be looking at where he has come from, and we're going to be looking at what he has been called to do. So if you can turn with uh, me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, I've put the words up. I'm going to read them out anyway, so don't worry too much. 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. It's in the name. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he, came to an, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negeb. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, Pharaoh saw her. No, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake... He dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him 
and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Mm. So that's chapter 12 of Genesis. It's the beginning of Abraham's journey. Um, I will be calling him Abraham, even though in this bit of text he is known as Abraham. We'll get on to that. Um, but let's look at where this is, because there's a lot of names, there's a lot of talk. So we've got this first map we're going to be looking at. So this is roughly where we are, it's ancient Mesopotamia. And Abraham starts his journey. You see Ur, really annoying name to have to say, but Ur is over in the east, in the southeast. And he ends up going all the way across Mesopotamia. So that's the map. That's, you've got Iraq there, you've got Kuwait. We're in the Middle East. We're just to the east of the Arabian Desert. Now, Mesopotamia is a really interesting place, and it's a really interesting period in human history because it's the dawn of human recorded history. It's the dawn of civilization. And some of the earliest records we have come from this, come from this period. And there's some pictures, just to go through the slides, to show that writing, mathematics, the wheel, sailboats, Maps, they all came, this, these concepts, these ideas, came out of Mesopotamia at this time in human history. So God is moving at a really crucial part of human history. Just as mankind is carving out what a civilization will look like, God is carving out what his people will look like. And it's a beautiful mixture of history and his story. The other thing to note is that Ur is located to the east of what is known as the Fertile Crescent, which is slide nine, um, and it was slightly indicated on the previous map, but this one puts it slightly better. Basically, you had this area that ran from the south to the east over the desert that was totally fertile, and obviously that would have allowed people to have grazed their livestock, to have lived. If you tried to go in a straight line, you, you would have probably have died. So the Fertile Crescent is really important geographically, and the climate here is perfect for a genesis of a civilization as well. So, Abraham leaves Ur, he moves up to Haram, and then over and across into Canaan, over what would have been a fairly long period. And we're going to be looking at four sections of Abraham's journey this morning that I've broken it down into four. Hearing, waiting following, and trusting, okay? So we'll start with hearing. So we read in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, that actually Abraham's father, and assumedly the rest of his household, were worshipping other gods. They were pagan. And into this pagan family, God, the God of the universe, speaks. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. The five I will statements form a beautifully assertive promise that grabs Abraham's attention and cuts through the so-called promises of other pagan gods. So you see the contrast here with a people that serves dumb and mute and motionless gods, demanding painful and awful sacrifices to be appealed. The Lord God says not, this is what you're going to do for me, Abraham, but I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. His promises come with no condition, no strings, no sacrifice, only obedience. That's all he asks. Now, the obedience is hard. It's costly. Abraham 
must leave his father's household, his country, his people, and then take that perilous journey that we saw that right up and over the Fertile Crescent. This wasn't just a Sunday stroll. He took all of his possessions, it says, and at the age of 75, he has to carry and transport livestock and servants and families and children and pots and pans and food and water and everything that would have been transported. Let's put that into context. Hands up if you've been to the Catalyst Festival. Quite a few people have been to the Catalyst Festival. So imagine it's Monday, okay? You're tired, everything smells, you've fallen out with everybody, you pack your car up really badly because it's never going to go in the same way it did before. You just sort of slam the boot down and hope the best. And then you don't go home, no. You go to another Catalyst Festival and you unpack again and you do another four days. And then you pack up to go to another Catalyst Festival and then another one and then another. I think it's easy to overestimate how easy this would have been for him. Let's look at the route. I did a Google map of the route. 445 hours of walking it would have been. That's with the modern road network, okay? That's not a historical route. He didn't actually, don't think, that's not what he did there. That's just what Google says. But that's 55 days of walking if you walked eight hours a day without stopping. So if God called you in the same way, where would that get you to? So if you got the ferry, bear with me, I'm going on a tangent. If you got the ferry to Dieppe, where would you get to if you had to walk that distance? Shout out. Where do you think you'd go? If you went south, sorry. Huh? Anyone? Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Um, thanks, Dave. No? Greece? Nice. Nice in France. Nice, okay, so we've got France. Any offers on Nice? Any offers? Any offers? Athens. You'd get to Gibraltar. 1,200 miles. It's like walking from Dieppe to Gibraltar. Okay, I need to move on. So, I think we need to get that. We need to get how painful this calling would have been. In fact, who would like a sweet? Have I got someone here that's struggling for attention and would like to earn a sweet? I need a volunteer. Anyone at all? Anna, come on, come up here. Anna, sorry, she was the first one. It's not just because you're my daughter. Right, here's your sweet, Anna. Don't touch it. Go over there. Right, this is, this is our family tent. Ugh. Okay, this is just for one family. Right, if you drag that tent all the way over there, you can have the suite. Okay, so just imagine... Yes. So just imagine Abraham's family just, tr just transporting all of this stuff. It would have been chaos. Well done, Anna. There you go. There's your suite. But everyone he would have been involved. It would have been a really arduous journey. And God spoke unmistakably to Abraham and called him on this journey that was to be his people's inheritance. And I just want to ask this morning, have you heard from God in the same unmistakable way as Abraham? Have you unmistakably heard from him? Of course you have. Because let's not fall into that trap of looking for God's calling. Paul says, okay, he's called to be an apostle Abraham was called by God, but you have been called by Jesus to follow him. That is your calling. And like the disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, who did not know Jesus, when he called them, they left 
everything and followed him. And you're here today listening to this because God has called you. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, then God is calling you too. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're listening to these words, because God has his hand on your life. So God called Abraham, which required him to leave his people and his family, and promised to give him far, far more than he was required to surrender. Let's look at these promises again in slide 12. In exchange for his country, he will receive the promised land. Next slide. In exchange for his kindred, he will receive a great nation. And in exchange for his family, he will receive a great name and blessings to all family. God doesn't just call us to lay stuff down at cost. Okay, we get immeasurably more than we lay down. See the similarity here to Jesus' words to us in Luke chapter 18. Peter said, verse 28, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Not just a promised land, but a promised eternal inheritance. That's our journey. When Jesus calls us, he asks for the complete and total surrender of the heart. That's what Jesus means in Matthew 16, verse 24. He says, if anyone would come after me, this is almost a warning, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And there is a danger in not following God's command closely. Abraham is told to leave his father's house, his father's house, but he takes his brother's son, Lot. This causes conflict and ultimately, later on in the story, leads to the death of Lot's wife. And I think for us here this morning, we need to look at our lives and make a sober assessment, remarkably similar to the word that Rob brought about the bullseye and about what Grant was saying about casting off everything. God is speaking. What part of my life have I hidden from his demand, command, to deny yourself and follow him? What have I not surrendered to Jesus? Or to put it another way, what thing in my life that if Jesus asked you to leave that at his cross would cause you to question him? Your house, your job, what is it? Abraham was able to inherit God's promises and receive his blessing because he was willing to forsake his family and follow God. Simon and Andrew in the New Testament, they were able to follow Jesus because they cared for him more than their own life. Whatever we hold on to in this life will, like Abraham, cause us to stumble later on. Whatever we surrender to him will be returned to us many times over. We need to be like the disciples in the New Testament who on seeing and hearing the word of God lay down everything to follow him. So that's hearing. Move on to waiting. We see Abraham having to wait in the story. After hearing God in Ur, Abraham, I hate saying Ur. After hearing God is Ur, Abraham gets to a place called Haran. Okay? And he waits here for roughly five years, at which time his father dies 
And he moves on. And this must have been really painful for Abraham. It's a really curious thing for many reasons. But I wonder what those five years would have looked like to him. That's half a decade of waiting outside of your family's country, but also outside of the land that promises that God has promised to give to you. But God knew that Abraham's dad was going to die. And still he spoke to Abraham before that happened, which caused him to wait. And I think sometimes God speaks to us, or he stirs our heart for something, or he calls us into something, but we're not yet in the season to see it followed through. Sometimes God calls you to a task ahead of the season that we're in. And like Abraham, this can be hard and painful as we wait on God without surrendering that vision that he has given us. And that's the key with the waiting. Remember the words of God to Abraham in the waiting. I will, says God. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will deliver you. You will move forward in me. The waiting will end. Hold on to the vision God has given you and remember the words to Abraham. I will. Following. Following God's lead has never been easy and will never be a walk in the park. But time and time again in Scripture, God leads his people away from material and worldly strength into total spiritual dependence. And we shouldn't expect any less for us, so we need to pay attention to what has happened to Abraham because it's applicable to us directly. You look at Abraham's story. You look at Moses coming out of Egypt and the manna from heaven. Or my favorite story is Gideon with this progressively smaller and smaller army that eventually defeats a much bigger army. <coughs> the loaves and the fishes and so many more examples. God wants to take you out of your comfort zone and follow him into the unknown to use the words of Elsa, to receive blessings and an eternal reward. What is that unknown for you? Maybe God is stirring you. Maybe you've, you've, you've longed to just go and do something for him and you know it's on your heart. Maybe the unknown is just having that conversation with that co-worker about Jesus that you've been putting off because you're worried about what that will do to your reputation. We all have unknowns and there's so much that holds us back from just stepping out into what God is calling us. Leave the comfort and go. All authority, says Jesus, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Just as God gives Abraham one simple command to go, followed by an exhaustive list of blessed assurances and I will statements, so Jesus tells us simply to go and to teach and he will be with you, he says, every single step of the way. So let me ask you again this morning, what is your lot? What is your baggage that you probably should have left at the cross, but you thought it would be okay anyway? It was a bit of a gray area, so you hung on to it. Is God prompting you in your mind right now? What is stopping you from entering into the unknown? Because our culture doesn't allow this to take place easily. We have to see that. We have life insurance, health insurance, breakdown cover, 
IT cover or fill rear, food deliveries, credit cards, smartphones, internet, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, the material wealth and comfort of this world make it hard for us to follow God's promptings into the unknown. They do, they hold us back. Because in the West, we're so mollycoddled to be safe and secure and don't take any risks. That was a huge risk for Abraham, massive risk. But God promised that it would be okay. No, he didn't. He promised that he would be with him, didn't he? When Abraham finally gets to Canaan, it isn't even what he anticipated, this promised land. And I think we can get that as well. Imagine walking for 554 hours, dreaming of this land flowing with milk and honey. And when you get there, not only is it full of pagans, but they're all starving with nothing to eat. What a complete disaster, he must have thought. That's a complete disaster. But I think we can all see God's calling on other people's lives as nice and simple when we really struggle with what he's doing in our own lives. Other people seem to have it so easy. They don't seem to have the same struggles and difficulties we have. It sort of reminds me from this quote from Lord of the Rings when Frodo leaves the Shire and he meets, meets Bilbo in Rivendell. He says, I spent all my life pretending I was off somewhere else off with you on one of your adventures, but my own adventure turned out to be quite different. It wasn't, really, but it just feels like it to us. The first part of Abraham's incredible calling was to put one foot in front of another for 1,200 miles and keep his family alive. I find that so reassuring, that that was God's calling to him, just to put one foot in front of another for 1,200 miles and keep everybody alive. There's nothing incredible about that. It's just walking. But when he finally arrives, he is worse off materially than when he left. And sometimes that's what following God can be like. So don't be downcast if things are hard. God takes us all to difficult places in our lives, And we can see with Jesus' calling to Peter, again, this was referenced this morning, he calls to Peter across the water, doesn't he, in that story. And when Peter gets away from the boat, when, when Peter's looking at the waves, they frighten him and he begins to sink. Or when there isn't enough food to feed the crowds, the disciples panic. Or when they're caught in the storm, even though they're sailing with the very word of God, they fear death. So we, as well, should expect the Lord Jesus, to take us just beyond our ability, beyond it. So don't be surprised if things are not turning out as you had hoped. But like Abraham, hope in the one who has it all in his hands. Life will be tough. And things will happen that seem like a disaster. But Jesus says to you in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you. That's our promise. That's our I will statement. I will never leave you, even in difficulty, even when times are hard. Despite God's promises to him, Abraham does fear for his safety. He's promised that he will be the father of a great family, but he still fears his life. That's what fear does to us. When we look at fear and not God, when we look at the waves and not Jesus, we will start to sink and we will start forgetting what God has said. He doesn't turn to God for help, but he turns to Egypt 
that sinister figure that crops up time and time again for God's people, representing material and military wealth and security. And when we read about them longing to go there, God's people, it's normally a sign that their heart is not in the right place with God and that they're fearing. They've turned to the world, and that's what we can do. We can just turn to the world. Fix me, world. I can't cope. So Abraham makes this rational decision and leaves the land that God's promised him and continues to journey down to Egypt. And when we're faced with difficulty, we can turn to many other things as well, despite the promises God has for us. Which brings me to my just final section this morning. Trusting. In times of difficulty and fear, we have to trust that God's promises are real to us and not be led by fear. The lack of Abraham's trust, his wife ends up in bed with a pharaoh. But even in Abraham's error and wavering faith, God is still faithful and gracefully releases Abraham with those plagues. You see that? Abraham makes a mistake and God rescues him. He doesn't go, oh, I've messed it up. That's it. That's the end of this promise. No, because that promise is a, is a promise from God that won't be broken even in our messy lives. And in, as a result of Abraham's lack of trust, his wife ends up in bed with Pharaoh and this is a catastrophic perversion of what God has called him to do. He's no longer where he should be and his wife is in bed with the Pharaoh. And there's a very specific application to this text I want to really bring. God calls Abraham to go to Canaan. Abraham gets to Canaan and fears the famine. Abraham leaves the country God has given him and enters Egypt, giving up his wife. We've not strayed that far, I'm sure. Not as far as Abraham's wife has strayed away from God there. But all of us, for sure, have strayed off the path that Jesus has called us to and onto our own path. Like, we're just not hitting the bullseye, like that picture that Rob brought this morning of the archers. Away from the promise and his blessings and into our own pleasures or our own fears. They distract us. They put us off. If we find ourselves straying from that close communion with Jesus, if we find ourselves not abiding in him, but in our hearts, turning from him and hiding our shame, then we must, like Abraham, at once go back to him and not delay for a moment. When Abraham was finally released from Egypt, he went to the place that God had given him the promise. He went back to the place that God had spoken to him. And that's such a beautiful picture of us just turning in our moments of despair and sin and fear, just turning to Jesus and saying, I just want to come back to you, Jesus. I'm making a mess of this. And he is so graceful to us to forgive us. Have you found recently that it's if you're carrying a weight so heavy, like this tent that Anna was dragging across, that every step is just a burden for you? Well, come to the cross and remove that weight of sin this morning. Don't delay. Leave it there forever and walk away from this building free and forgiven, knowing that the blood of Jesus continually cleanses you of your sin. Just one thing to consider this morning before I close. In Abraham's weakness, he trades his wife for safety in a land away from God's promise. However, when we read 
the account of Abraham in Hebrews 11, he's commended for his faith. And there's no mention of Egypt. There's no mention of that mistake. God will not recall a single sinful moment in your life if you're in Jesus. He will not remember it. The memory of them is removed as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. There's no memory of it anymore. He's totally forgiven you. It's just as if you had never sinned. sinned. That's what being justified is. Instead of recalling your mistakes, every step of faith like Abraham you have ever taken in the Lord, as you pursue him above every pleasure the world has to offer you, it's written and declared over you by a heavenly father who is cheering you on every step of the way. And when you meet him face to face, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's have the band up and I'll pray. And we'll close. Hmm. Father, I have chosen the wrong things. I've followed the wrong paths. I've been led by fear and not by your promises. That's how it feels sometimes. I've allowed other things to take my eyes off you, Jesus. And I'm not where I should be. I'm in Egypt, Lord, help me. That's how it feels so many times. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you. You didn't just watch Peter drown, Lord. You grabbed him and pulled him into the boat. You mercifully brought Abraham back to the promised land. And time and time again, you correct our path, not with wrath, Lord, but with grace and forgiveness and praise and and just cheering from the sidelines. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your I will promise over our lives that our failures are forgotten by you and our sins are washed in Jesus' blood. Help us, Lord, not to hold on to the things in this world, but to run the race set before us, casting off everything that hinders hinders us. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would just do a deep work in people's lives. Lord, as we offer up before you those things that we know we should have left at the cross when we gave our lives to you, those things that it was a bit of a gray area, but we took them anyway, and now it's like carrying that huge tent on our back, and we just wish we had let go of it. Let's just give it over to the Lord Jesus now. Just give it to him and allow the Holy Spirit to remove that burden from you, because he is so graceful. You can never stray away from his promises with a humble heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.